All right, I encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ruth. This uh, great little book that's uh, tucked into the Old Testament in between uh, Judges and 1 Samuel. If you weren't here with us last week, we launched off on a four-week series in this book. We're going to do one chapter a week for the month of April, sort of a little mini-series. They still do those? Remember when I was a kid, we watched one of the first of those miniseries, Roots, and that uh, can tell you how old I am. But this is another miniseries in the pages of your Bible. So I'm going to start just by allowing us to regain our bearings before we get into chapter two. Uh, in chapter one, we, we were introduced to the setting of this book. This is a true story of. Uh, we mentioned last week that this is a very ordinary Jewish family from Bethlehem, likely somewhere around 1,100 years uh, before Christ was born in that same town. The very first verse of the book tells us that this, was, uh, this story here took place in the, in the days when the judges ruled, and that there was a famine in the land. And the land is talking, of course, of the land of promise, the promised land, Canaan. Because of the famine, this family decided to leave town, to leave their home, and to go southeast a little bit to the neighboring country of Moab. So that's the setting. A little bit more information. This this family is a family of four when they leave the promised land. There's mom and dad, and there's two boys, but not too far. Maybe it is a little bit long. We don't know quite the timing of here, but it seems like it's pretty soon that the dad dies. And the sons end up getting married to gals from Moab. And then the two boys die as well. So now only, in this family of four, only mom is left. It's really actually, in chapter one, a bit of a heart-wrenching scene. So the woman, Naomi, is her name, decides to go back home to the promised land. Once she hears that the famine is over back there, thanks To God, verse 6 says that God visited the land with food. Not too long on the way back, even though she tries to convince both of her daughters-in-law to go back to Moab, one of them, Ruth, is determined to stay with her mother-in-law. And we learned last week that this was an extreme act of loyalty on her part. She says, among other things, in verse 16 of chapter 1, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you for you where you will go, for you sorry for where you go I will go and where you lodge I will lodge your people shall be my people and your god my god where you die I will die and there I will be buried may the lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you we jokingly said that while Uh, Naomi tried to be ruthless, Ruth would have none of it. Coincidentally, this week, uh, I don't know if you get Merriam-Webster's Dictionary Word of the Day on your phone or anything like that, but coincidentally, on Friday, the Word of the Day was ruthless. And uh, and here's how they define that. Ruthless can be defined as without Ruth, (laughs) or having no Ruth. So what then is Ruth? The noun Ruth, you might not know this, which is now considerably less common than ruthless, means compassion for the misery of another. 
And just as it is possible for one to be without Ruth, it is also possible to be full of Ruth. The antonym of, so the opposite of ruthless is ruthful, meaning full of Ruth or tender. Ruth can be traced back to the Middle English noun Ruth, they, itself from Ruen, meaning to rue or to feel regret, remorse, or sorrow. You can thank me later for all this information. And I would add that it's not only traced back to the Middle Ages, but it's probably traced back somewhat to this story. Interesting that there was a gal named Ruth Graham, uh, not the Ruth Graham that was married to Billy, but Ruth Graham, who uh, she said this word is a reminder that the noun Ruth is due for a comeback. (laughs) So this is a lady named Ruth, and she thinks we should use that word more as a noun. Anyways, that definition really describes Ruth, doesn't it? She had compassion for the misery of another, Naomi. And so she was loyal to her. She left her own family, she left her country, she left her uh, identity, and most importantly of all, she left her religions. Uh, her religion and the gods of the Moabites. Remember we said Orpah, who, the other sister-in-law, went back to her gods. Somebody was bothering me or was letting me know last week that I actually called her Oprah three times. Um, so I'm glad someone is keeping track of those things. But Orpah, her sis- the other sister-in-law, went back to her gods. Ruth left her gods and went back to the one true God, or went to the one true God, the God of Israel, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. She, she turned from follow, following false gods and put her faith and her trust in the one true God. So chapter 1 ends with Naomi and Ruth now having arrived back at Bethlehem. And when they get there, Naomi proclaims her bitterness. She actually proclaims her doubt in God's goodness. She says, I went away full, forgetting there was a famine when she left, and the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord is sovereign, but the Lord is not good, according to her. Forgetting, again, that someone was actually with her. She wasn't totally empty. So Ruth, the foreigner, this widowed daughter-in-law that was loyal to her mother-in-law, who was in some kind of state of depression, is pretty much ignored and forgotten. Naomi doesn't as much as mention her to her lady friends. She doesn't even introduce her there at the end of chapter 1. It's kind of a sad end to the chapter, but there's a hint of hope in the very last verse. We see there that God's not done with Naomi and with this family just yet. It says they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now that's not a huge hint, but there's a glimmer of light. When they left, remember, there was no food. Now there's a harvest, a plentiful harvest. All right, everyone caught up? Even if you weren't here, you get a little bit of a gist of the story. So let's go on to chapter 1, or chapter 2. And here we'll get introduced to the other main character in Ruth. And like Ruth and her faithful loyalty, this male character also gives us a portrait of another one of God's attributes. So follow along this morning as I read from Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, 
Boaz came from Bethlehem, came from town to his field, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. And so she came, and and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. And then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz said to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Lord, repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me, you've spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and, and, and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And so she sat beside the reapers and she uh, passed to her, her and, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from among the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. And so she gleaned in the field until evening. And then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, That man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. And so she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. As far as the reading of God's word. So back in chapter 1, we noticed already that Ruth had taken a huge step of faith. Her, her, her faith in God had led her to leave everything she knew and to attach herself to Naomi and to be kind and to be committed and to be loyal to her. Now, here in chapter 2, we'll see that Ruth's Saving faith, her her trust in God, helped her to seek and to find favor from God in the form of a God-fearing man named Boaz. 
Where in chapter 1, we see God's surprising loyalty through Ruth. Here in chapter 2, we are going to see God's surprising favor through Boaz. You see Ruth seeking favor there right at the top in verse 2. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And so we notice here that Ruth has a need. Uh, Naomi and Ruth both need food. Uh, They've arrived back in Bethlehem, but all the men are dead and gone. And back in that culture, there was no way for women to fend for themselves or to feed themselves. They were vulnerable, being that they were two widows, and they were destitute. They were hungry. Now, we're not sure if Naomi and her husband were well-to-do before they left, 10 years before, but whatever they were, the situation has now changed drastically. Naomi was poor. And so Ruth knew that they were desperate. They were poor, they needed help, they needed someone to reach out to them and assist them. They basically needed a favor. They needed a favor. I don't know about you, but when I need a favor... I'm the kind of guy that doesn't really like asking people, and I say that to my shame. I I feel like if I ask someone for a favor, I'm inconveniencing them, or I'm putting them out. Other people have no problem asking for favors. If they need something, they're not afraid to ask for help. And and so it really should be, especially in the context of a church, right? We, We shouldn't be afraid to ask for prayer. We shouldn't be able to be afraid to ask for help when we need it from our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, Ruth would fall into the latter category. It's her that takes the initiative here. She asks Naomi for permission to go and find favor from a rich landowner that would maybe let her onto his property and just grab something that's that's been left over there. But all of that had something to do with her faith. Now, God... And his laws had provided a way for poor people and for widows to gather some food. And it seems like Ruth might have known something about that. In Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, God says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. And so God was making a provision here in his law for the poor and for the widows. Deuteronomy 24, 19 says, When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. Just leave it there. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow. And so the motive here for for God's kindness or for their kindness that God is prescribing was God's kindness to them when they were poor and destitute as slaves in Egypt. The end of Deuteronomy 24, verse 22, says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. So it's out of remembrance of who they were and how God met their need, that they are to meet the needs of others. And so farmers purposely wouldn't glean the edges or the corners of their property. And they wouldn't pick up anything that they accidentally dropped. That was so the poor and the widows could have some way of, subs- of uh, subsistence in that culture. And that's what Ruth's planning to do. But as a foreigner, as a Moabite, she would need a favor from someone, and she knew it. She knew it. And we know that Ruth's faith is rewarded. She not only gets 
uh, that ordinary provision, she gets way more than can be expected. God is at work here. She receives a favor, all right. Let's, let's, see what it, let's just see that in our text, at least before we circle back and find out exactly how she was favored. So verse 2 says, she goes out to find someone in whose sight I shall find favor. In verse 10, she asks Boaz, why have I found favor in your eyes? So she's found it. And again in verse 13, she says again to Boaz, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. So she found what she was looking for. She found a favor. That word favor can also be translated grace. In Boaz, she found something undeserved. She found something over the top of customary expectation. Ruth's faith is rewarded. What is it that makes this over the top grace? Why is Ruth uh, so blown away by Boaz's favor that it, it made her, in verse 10, fall on her face and bow on the ground in front of Boaz? Well, there are at least four reasons in this chapter. Number one, she's astounded by Boaz's compassion. She's astounded by his uh, offer of provision. She's astounded by his protection. And fourthly, she's astounded by his redemption. That fourth one, redemption, is hinted at in verse 20, but it comes really into full bloom in chapter 3, and so I'm going to leave that one for Andrew to expand on next week. So notice, first of all, Boaz's compassion. It's really from a human standpoint, remembering that God is working all of these things out behind the scenes, but from a human standpoint, surprising and unexpected compassion. We can see that in a number of ways, all having to do with the fact that Ruth is a foreigner, a Moabite. As an outsider to God's chosen people, she doesn't really have a right to anything. Yet she receives way more than even a poor Israelite widow would have received. You see, she wasn't entitled to all the stuff, that, even those provisions for the poor that God had made back in Leviticus and Deuteronomy because she wasn't an Israelite. Boaz is introduced in verse 1 by the writer, but he comes into the scene there in verse 4. And right there, we already start to see something about his character, just in the way he greets his staff, just in the way he greets his farmhands. He says, the Lord be with you. Now that might sound like a little bit of a standard greeting, but we get the hint that this is a God-centered landowner here. He's a, he's a worthy man, he, he's a wealthy man, he's an influential man, but he's also a godly man. He, he, he fears God. He wants to plead God in his business dealings. He's got a good relationship with his workers, and so they reply with the Lord bless you. So Boaz shows up in the field where Ruth was gathering up the scraps on the edges of the property. She was just there doing what a poor widow would do. But Boaz notices her. Boaz notices her. And then he asks one of his workers about her. And this worker identifies her as the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Still no name, you notice? And he says that she's been there working hard all day. But the emphasis is on the fact that she's not from there. She's an outsider, a Moabite from Moab. Boaz had already heard about Ruth. Word had spread around town about Naomi being back home and, and that some unnamed young gal had come with her. But now he sees her in person. And she just happens 
It says there in verse 3, to be in his field. Now Boaz couldn't really be blamed if he would have just stopped and told his workers to t- just tell her to get off my property. He might not have wanted his field to get contaminated, to get infected by a foreigner, a foreign Moabite of all things. After all, the law of Moses also said in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3, No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. You shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all your days forever. But Boaz doesn't do that. Boaz was able to see beyond all that, and he sees that rather than present a threat of infection and contamination, this was an opportunity to show kindness to an outsider. See, Boaz also knew that Jews were to be a light to the Gentiles. He knew that the promise to Abraham way back in Genesis 12 was that all the families of the earth would be blessed. And so he reaches out to a Moabite woman. And Boaz right away gives her a sense of value. Right from his very first words to her, starting at verse 8. He says, now listen, my daughter. He's obviously quite a bit older than Ruth, but he sees this outsider to his people as part of his family, as part of God's covenant family, which you get into not ultimately by birth, but by faith from the new birth that John talks about, that Jesus talks about in John 3. You can start to see that something different is going on here, and Boaz offers her protection and provision, which we'll get to right away. But why is Boaz not disturbed by her nationality? Why does he show Ruth this kind of compassion? If you know the rest of the story, you might think that he was maybe wowed by her beauty, that that this was love at first sight, and that he decided right away that Ruth was going to be his wife. But I'm not sure at this point that that's what he was thinking. I think he saw in Ruth someone that had a heart for God that had been set apart for God. Like I said, it was a small town. He'd heard all about this gal that had a great cost to herself, joined herself to her mother-in-law. He had, he had heard about this gal who had left her gods and had been converted to the one true God. And rather than infecting the Jews and taking them further away from God, Boaz saw someone who, had actually, who might actually make his people and his family more holy, not less holy. You can see that pretty clearly in, in verse 11. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. He's been told what Ruth had done. He's been told about her uh, extraordinary loyalty to her mother-in-law. But more than that, he realizes that Ruth's motivation for that had something to do with God. He actually notices her repentance and faith. You can see that in the words, left your father and mother and your native land, that's, that's turning, repentance, and came to a people that you did not know before. might want to call that faith. Left 
and came are another way of saying repentance and faith, a change from one direction to another. Now, if you think that's far-fetched, look at verse 12, very next verse. The Lord repay you for what you have done, Boaz says to Ruth, and a, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz realizes that Ruth's actions were an act of faith in God. And he asks God to bless her and to keep her. And Ruth, for her part, recognizes this as an uncommon, as an unexpected, as an undeserved favor from Boaz to her. Why, she says in verse 10 again, should you take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And she adds in verse 13, you've spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. He's treated her as one of his own. He had called her daughter, even though she was a foreigner. Brothers and sisters, is this not how God sees us? Is this not how we ought to respond to God? Why should you take notice of me since I am an outsider? I'm a sinner yet you have poured your love out on me in the person of your Son. Psalm 130, verse 3 says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, which we all have, who could stand? Who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that, that we should be called children of God. Sons and daughters of God. This is uncommon, unexpected, undeserved favor from God to us. And then, is this not how we should regard outsiders? With kindness and with favor? Should we not be on the lookout for for people who we think might not really fit? Please, let's not forget that we really do not fit into God's family. Yet he reaches down and then he he blasts us with his grace and with his kindness, with his mercy. Who are the foreigners? Who are the outsiders in your world? Reach out to them with kindness and especially with the good news that God has come to save sinners. That's the biggest favor you could give them. Let's learn from the compassion of Boaz to a Moabite and the compassion of God toward us. Secondly, notice that Boaz provides for Ruth. Provision. Remember, Naomi and Ruth needed food, bottom line. Compassion is nice, but they needed something to eat. They were destitute, they were desperate, they were hungry. And so because of his compassion and kindness, Boaz actually sees to it that Ruth and Naomi are fed. He becomes their provider. He says, you won't need to go anywhere else, just you stay right here. And he actually, once again, he he goes above and beyond. Instead of just letting her stay on the edges, which is really all that the law required him to leave over, not for them, but for the poor and, and for the widows. And instead of letting her glean the leftovers and the scraps, Boaz actually says, verse 8, keep close to my young women. 
He's really now inviting her into his inner circle. Where there's more food, the the good stuff. And not only that, the end of verse 9, he says, when you're thirsty, go to the vessels that the young men have drawn. Now, you know, she, she not only gets to chill with the young women, she also gets access to the same stuff that the young men get. His best workers. Boaz lets Ruth get the best stuff. She should really get something less than the leftovers and scraps. And yet Boaz makes sure she gets the best of the best. This is extraordinary provision. No wonder Ruth starts bowing before Boaz and falling on her face in astonishment at his kindness. But he's not done yet. Skip down to verse 14. He even invites her to eat with him. At mealtime, it says, he said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel into the wine. And so she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. Wow. This guy, who, whose, who, whose field she just wanted to slip into quietly and get a few scraps, now he invites her right onto his dinner table. And she has fellowship, and, 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 and he has fellowship and communion with her, and vice versa. Friends, this is lavish, unexpected provision. This is like totally out there. We kind of read this you know, with our, uh, you know, we've read this story many times, but uh, people in, from Israel that would have read this for the first time, they would have gone, whoa, this is, this is nuts. She's just getting way more than she should have received. She's going from emptiness to fullness. She's in right, invited right to the table of her small L Lord. Brothers and sisters, is this not how God treats us? He sends us the bread of life. He invites us to commune with him at the table of our Lord. We have access to holy God through Jesus. We've been given access to God and be able to eat with him. I love the end of verse 14. And she ate until she was satisfied. And she had some leftover those words sound familiar it's because they are when jesus comes and he teaches by the sea do you remember this and he sees the people hungry what happens do you remember that story there are five thousand it actually says five thousand men there so we're not even including women and children and, and he takes five loaves and two fish and he feeds all of them and here's what it says and they all ate and were satisfied and what was left over was picked up And there was 12 baskets of broken pieces. This is the nature of God. He provides what we need and so much more. It's lavish. Back to Psalm 130, verse 7 says, With the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And what we most desperately need is God himself, isn't it? And to fill that need, what did God do? He provided his son, Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the son from the line of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz. Just like Boaz satisfied Ruth's need for food and so much more, God satisfies your spiritual need with his overflowing riches in Christ. 
Philippians 4.19 says, My God will supply every need of yours according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Friend, if you don't know Jesus, you are still empty. You might think you're full. You might think that you have everything you need. You might be satisfied with the way that your life is going. But God offers you so much more. He provides the Son of God, Jesus. If you, uh, like Ruth, leave all those things that you're counting on for satisfaction and come to God through Jesus alone, you will be truly satisfied. Be Ruth-like. Leave. Leave your old ways and come. Repent and trust in Jesus. Well, quickly to close, the third way Boaz shows favor to Ruth is by protecting her. Compassion, provision, protection. Again, you see this right through the chapter. Uh, as a woman, as a foreigner, uh, Ruth would have been vulnerable. Uh, foreigners and women do not get treated well in the days of the judges. Just read the last three chapters of Judges if you, and you'll know that, you'll see that there. So here you have Boaz saying to Ruth in verse 9, Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Boaz is ensuring that Ruth stays safe. In verse 15 again, he tells his employees, Do not reproach her. Verse 16, do not rebuke her. Down in verse 22, after Ruth has told Naomi all about what Boaz did for her, Naomi recognizes Boaz's act of protection. She says, It is good that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. Boaz is protecting Ruth. He's going to great and, again, uncommon lengths to ensure that she is safe. Again, I ask, is this not how God the Father treats his children? God not only saves and feeds us, he also protects us and keeps us safe. Uh, he, he does that through his word. He, he does that by warning us of danger. He, he does that by raising up leaders in his church to protect the sheep. This is what God does for his children. Boaz even recognizes this is God's relationship with Ruth and, and that beautiful assurance that he gives her there in verse 12 where he talks about God under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Beautiful picture. By leaving Moab, uh, Boaz draws this picture of Ruth being cradled and, and protected under the shelter of God's wings. And this is why I say that the book of Ruth through the comings and goings of these ordinary people, gives us portraits of God himself. As we understand Ruth's surprising loyalty and faithfulness, and as we behold Boaz's surprising favor and grace, we start to see God's undeserved covenant love and sovereign grace towards his children. He has compassion on us and loves us while we were yet sinners. He provides our greatest need by satisfying us with the riches of Christ. And then he promises to protect us and keep us. John 10 verse 28, he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. In Ruth, we catch glimpses of our great and awesome God. Let us just saying before I came up here, let us praise him and honor him and fall on our faces and say, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? Let's pray.
Our Heavenly Father, we once again sit in wonder and in awe at your kindness, at your mercy, at your favor, at your grace. Father, the deeper we know you, the less surprised, I guess, we are at your compassion and provision. But we're always amazed that you would stoop down and that you would take us to yourself. Allow us to eat at your table. That you would allow us to give of yourself so that we might be satisfied, satisfied to overflowing. Thank you, our Father, for teaching us these lessons through the lives of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. Help us now to look for others to whom we can give compassion and most of all to share the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now, may God supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen.